Right, welcome to another episode of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Maxwell Ivy, aka the Blind Blogger. Uh, Max is self-published author of three books, an entrepreneur, public speaker, uh, and as the name suggests, a completely blind blogger. Uh, Max, welcome to the Pocket Mastermind uh, podcast. Uh, really looking forward to hear about your uh, your incredible story. The, the, the story you downplay, I have to say, but it's incredible for the rest of us. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Hi, David. I appreciate you having me on the show. And that's that last thing you said there is is important because for a long time I did not realize the uh, the the power of my story, the things that I've accomplished, especially in the last ten or twelve years. And it it took people outside of me, good friends of mine that I had met online, who were able to explain it to me, and they basically said, Max. You are somebody that has a built-in excuse. If you decided you wanted to sit on your couch and watch TV and eat junk food, nobody would say the first thing about it because you have this built-in excuse. Mm -hmm. The fact that you don't use it, that you continue to show up and take on difficult challenges every day, while people that don't have any, uh, any similar physical thing holding them back and they're not doing you know much of anything with their lives other than the day-to-day -day stuff we all have to do, which has, you know, sincerely has become much more difficult over the last few months. But, you know, she's like, a lot of people don't have an excuse. They still sleepwalking through their lives. You have an excuse, You show, but you still show up. That's what makes your story uh, imp important and why you need to tell it more. But, yeah, it took me two years of telling people, no, I'm not an inspiration. No, I'm not anybody special. I'm just a guy who shows up every day and works his butt off. That's all I do. And... I, I'm really working hard at understanding that, yeah, my story is pretty good. So the short version is I grew up in a family carnival, which y'all call fun fairs or fairground attractions in the UK. Wanted to do that as my profession. Was lucky enough to do it uh, for about 15 years next to my dad and brothers. Even though I was visually impaired and by that time was almost totally blind, I did the bookings and operated kids games. I helped set up and take down rides. And after he died, our carnival went out of business, so I needed something new to do. I started helping people sell used rides on uh, the internet, and I had to learn a whole bunch of new stuff, including teaching myself to hand code HTML because there was no way a blind guy could use a visual editor to create a website. I had to figure out a way to recruit clients and set fees, uh, build an email list, record video, all, all everything. It was, it was like almost once a month, there was something new I had to figure my way through. People found that inspiring, asked me to share more of my experiences as a blind entrepreneur, and that led to the blindblogger.net, where I've written three books so far. My fourth will be due out uh, either end of July or first of August. It's about my, my first experiences at promoting my work as an author by doing book signings and public speaking. So looking forward to the next book. I've done over 200 podcast interviews. I help people get booked on podcasts so they can share their stories. I sing in public. I travel solo. And I do host a little show called What's Your Excuse? <laughs> Is there anything you don't do? <laughs> Tap dance, maybe? Uh, I, don't, I don't wrestle alligators, swim with sharks, or jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Those are some of them <laughs> I don't do. Yeah, well, and, I don't, and I don't do all of this stuff every single day. You know, it's... Uh, so some of these things, some of these things, just you know, are more important today than they'll be on Friday. So it just depends on what I have to do each day, which is why one of my least favorite questions from hosts is, "What does your daily schedule look like?" Oh, it looks like whatever <laughs> I find when I get out of bed in the morning. That's what it looks like. <laughs> I love that. So, talk to us a bit about growing up uh, on the carnival, like you say, as we call it, the fair. What what was that like? Do you, is that is, do you think that's where the the work ethic came from? Uh, I have no doubt it's where the work ethic came from because in the carnival business, there really isn't any time for self-pity. And as us, you know, my, my family, I have family now that operate a, a, I won't call it a huge carnival, but they operate over 30 rides, probably, probably four or 5 million pounds worth of equipment. They travel year round. Now, so I've got some relatives that are doing it and making a real living from it. Mm -hmm. But my grandparents never had a big carnival. My dad never had a big show. So, you know, you grow up not having the resources you would like to have. And basically every week, you just have to find a way to get open. So on Thursday or Friday, they can ride the waltzer or the tilt-a-whirl or they can buy, they can, 
they can buy a stick of fairy floss or cotton candy. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's all that anybody cares about. You know, because if they can't win a teddy bear, you are in real trouble. So, <laughs> you learn from an early age. You learn from an early age. There are solutions. You just have to find them, and you have to be willing to look stupid and get dirty, and maybe even get greasy to use those solutions. And I like I, one of the things that taught me was. Life ain't the Olympics. They're not going to give you style points, so so please don't try to win them. Uh, you know, there were times we would make opening, but maybe the maybe the canvas that went around the bottom, the skirting around the rides wouldn't be on on opening night. Or, you know, maybe we'd leave some of the lighting down. The rides were, were always safe, but we didn't win a lot of style points, but we did get open. Uh, we were very ethical when it came to the share that the organizing committees were supposed to get from our gro our gross of the rides and over the years we were blessed with many bookings that were bigger than we had the rides to fulfill because people knew that if they booked max ivy it was my dad's name too is that if we told them they were going to get 12 rides they would get if we told them they were going to get 25 rides some way some way we would find them and if anything happened during the week that they didn't like, we would take care of it. So our reputation allowed us to book events bigger than we were capable of fulfilling on our own. And did you, so how, what, what was the travel schedule like as a kid? Well, the travel schedule has changed a lot over the years. And when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten, even into high school, uh, carnivals worked in Texas. They worked about eight months out of the year. The rest of the country, maybe about six months out of the year. Uh, so what would happen is your relatives would put you in school from September to May, and you would travel with your family from May, from, you know, June to from June, July, and August is when you were a kid. Um, you know, once you got old enough to where you could probably get away with not being in school, then you would probably travel the entire season. But back then, you would work seven, eight, nine months during the year, and then you would have to find some other occupation during the winter months so that you could, uh, you know, supplement whatever money you had saved from the previous season and hopefully invest in some newer equipment. And But nowadays, you know, they travel year-round. They operate in indoor venues. Uh, they some of some of the bigger operations travel to other countries like you know before the pandemic it was nothing for a big show to go to Haiti um, the Bahamas wow. uh, so, uh, Samoa you know would be no big Puerto Rico was also big so uh, the entire industry has really changed it's gone from a from a, a lot of small and medium-sized companies to really mostly corporate and uh, the party hire companies with, you know, the bounce houses and the slides and the, the, the interactive stuff that's not technically an amusement ride because it doesn't have a motor. So nowadays, I'm sure I would probably be traveling year-round and would have had to been homeschooled because, you know, you can do the homeschool over the Internet, and that's what my, that's what my nieces and nephews have done. So that part of it is different. Um, the other part of my growing up, of course, is – uh, I, starting at age five, I started losing my vision. It was gradual at first, and then by the time I entered junior high school, I had a big drop-off in vision. I have retinitis pigmentosa, and a, uh, a large decrease in vision for men when they go through puberty is pretty common. Uh, it stayed constant until I graduated from uh, – so I went off to college, and then by the time I graduated from college, it was down to what it is now, which is light perception. But – that provides me very little functional vision, so totally blind makes it easier for most people to understand. Uh, when I was, you know, you mentioned the carnival life teaching me, the fact that I lost my vision gradually over years also taught me adaptability, and it also taught me about asking for help and asking for opportunities. The adaptability part came because my vision wouldn't be the same from year to year, and things that I did one year in school wouldn't work the next year. And uh, you know, I I went from reading regular print books uh, in low light to having to have a, a lot of light to large type to eventually using a closed circuit monitor to uh, listening to them on tape and having to learn Braille. So a lot of learning to adapt over the years. 
as I was losing my vision, and that's really helped me. Uh, really helped me in the uh, in my later life, both in the carnival and now as a as a blogger and a podcaster. Because as you know, uh, the internet changes pretty quick, and if it's yeah. not the internet, it's the it's the world outside your door changes pretty quick. So, you know, growing up, being taught adaptability, being taught to find the positive in the in life, being uh, being taught perseverance, and so so many things I learned from, you know, from growing up. And I recently told a friend at church that my blindness had taught me patience, and he said, you know, that's a really that's a really high cost to pay, but it's something important that more people need to learn. Uh, <laughs> true, that, um, you know. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. But it's something that's becoming an even shorter supply these days. I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I commonly find people getting mad at me because I'm not getting mad at somebody else. Yes, I understand that there's an <laughs> extreme lack of patience out there. Uh, but yeah, but you know these. Uh, we we all have things in our lives. My struggles are more obvious than other people's. But those things that are unique to you are things that can teach you important lessons and make you a stronger person and allow you to, to progress and allow you to try something new if you decide you want to. I mean, it all comes down to a decision. Are we going to decide to be failures and nothing I do will ever work? Or are we going to decide to think the last thing I tried didn't work, but the next one will? Or... Uh, I've been trying this blogging thing for three months. It hasn't worked yet, but that doesn't mean I'm not a good blogger. It just means that I haven't figured it out quite yet. You know, those are decisions we have to make about ourselves. And, you know, I grew up around positive people who never had time for self-pity. So uh, I've got, I was, I was trained properly in this area, but it is, it is hard. It, it requires uh, making a decision and then taking the action. And that, that's the truth, whether we're talking about deciding to be positive, deciding to ask for help, uh, deciding what you think you're going to do next, or even, you know, now currently, uh, we have a lot of people who are deciding in this pandemic that they are going to follow dreams that they couldn't follow when they had to go to their regular job every day, like painting, sculpting, recording albums, writing books. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole bunch of other people who, this pandemic isn't over yet and it's already broken them yeah. because they've decided they've, they've chosen their side and their side is defeat. And what did you, how do, do you, can you put a finger on what it is that allows you to make that positive decision? And then I think the biggest thing is taking the action, right? Because you can, oh, yeah. I think lots of people make decisions in the comfort of their sofa watching Netflix, but when the morning comes and, and the action's required, that's the tough bit, isn't it? So yeah, if you've got yeah. any advice so, for yeah. people to take action. Right. Well, the first thing is, is that um, we have to remember that the size of the action isn't important. The smaller, the smaller things, the things that don't seem like a big deal to you at the time are the most important ones because those are the things we can do now and feel good about ourselves for doing them and propel us to bigger things. I like to remind people that I'm on this journey for 13 years now. I started in September of 2007 by filing for a domain name, not knowing how I would even build a website, really not knowing what what a website was yet, (laughs) but filed for the domain anyway. That was, you know, it cost me $21, I think. So it was a very small step. It was, uh, the the next thing I did was actually start telling people um, I'm going to help people sell used rides. And, you know, so there's very small things we have to do in the beginning. We have to celebrate those experiences. We have to surround ourselves with people who are, are going to encourage us instead of telling us we can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to taking action, it's not something that you're going to do well in the beginning. I, that's one of the things I, I think really hurts a lot of people is, you hear coaches talk about affirma- affirmations and vision boards. You hear them talk about uh, about finding the positive. You hear them talk about a lot of things. Nobody ever talks about how you have to do those things for a while before they become natural or easy. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at finding the positive because I've spent a lot of time on my arse looking up at the sky. <laughs> 
you know, that's, you know, and, and then either myself or people around me helping pick me back up again and go to the next thing. That's, that's how I've gotten to this point. I didn't get to this point because everything was easy. I got to this point because everything was hard. Uh, and you kept going. That's the thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I've, I've, over the years, I've had it instilled in me that I, I have a real hard time quitting. In, in fact, when I decided to have uh, gastric surgery so that I could get healthy, at first I refused to do it because I thought having the surgery meant I was quitting and giving up that I could not lose weight and stay healthy on my own. Oh. It was only when I found out that the surgery was just the first step and that I would have to do a lot of work for it to take and for me to, to get healthy and stay healthy the rest of my life. Then I was like, oh, I got to work? This isn't the end? Good, I'm in. Let's do this. <laughs> so, That's the opposite to what I hear from... Well, from I know, people. I know. I'm told all the time I'm different. But these are things people can do. But don't go, don't go thinking you're going to, you're going to start, a, you're, going to, you're going to open a website today and you're going to make money from it next week. Uh, can you even think of the name, you know, what is, if, if you could do something without thinking of the consequences, without worrying about if you would fail or not, what would you call it? What would it do? What would it look like? Um, the best example I can give for people of this in my own life, and it almost got me in, in a lot of trouble, but it worked out for the best in the end. Uh, in 2016, I competed for and won one of the Amtrak Riders in Residence. It's a writer's prize they give in the U.S. for people to go off on the train and get away from their regular lives so they can get their writer juices going and create some sort of writing project. When they asked me where I wanted to go with my tickets, I didn't I sat down and asked myself, where do I want to go? Let's not think about what it will cost me because Amtrak was going to pay for the tickets, but they weren't going to pay for my, my motel or my Airbnb or my attraction tickets or my food or any of that stuff. Where do I want to go without thinking of anything? And I decided, okay, I could do easy. You know, I could go to, I could go to, the, to South Carolina or to Florida or to Arizona where I have family uh, or even California where I have a niece. I could go where people would expect me to go, which would have probably been Chicago because, uh, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's a famous train city. I, I, but I said, you know, where does Max want to go? If Max can go wherever he wants to in the United States without worrying about what it's going to cost, how he's going to get there, what people are going to think, where does he want to go? And I came up with New York City during the Christmas and New Year's holidays of 2016, 2017. When I left for New York, I had $400 in my pocket and my Airbnb paid for. Uh, while I was gone, I sold a park train that, that, uh, that brought me probably about $1,000, and somebody contri uh, contributed a few hundred dollars to me. So I was able to have a great time in New York City. I had, when I left, I thought, well, there's lots of stuff to do there that's either free or doesn't cost a lot of money. I will find enjoyable things to do, experiences to have. This will be a great trip either way. But when I decided in February or March of that year that I was going to go to New York, I have the first day clue how that was all going to work out. <laughs> but I, you know, I just sat down and asked myself, what would I do? And then, you know, from February to December, nine months later, it, it uh, you know, through my efforts, through help from people online, through family members, uh, through telling people what I needed, what I wanted, you know, it all, it worked out. But it worked out because, like I say, I was willing to say, this is what I want without thinking about, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? And it did work out, but it could have, it could have went horribly off the rails, you know. But so, it, so to start with, one, think about what would you do if you didn't have to worry about failing? But then, two, what can you do today? What small thing can you do right now that will move you closer towards your goal? Because we need wins. When you're when the score is zero, you need a win any way you can get a win. You know, it doesn't matter how ugly it is, it doesn't matter how silly you feel doing it. Any win is a win, as as the great Al Davis used to say. There's no such thing as an ugly one, and I'm sure y'all have similar metaphors for for football in the UK. But uh, so. What are some of those things you can find to do? And I'm going to share my four questions method because I think this is very helpful for people that are looking to start on a, bi on a big goal. The first thing you ask yourself is, what uh, is, 
can I do this? So what you want to do is you want to start with the big goal, break it up into lots of little bitty goals, and then for each one, ask yourself, can I do this? If you can do it, then you do it right away. You don't talk about it. You don't think about it. You don't ask somebody else if it's a good idea or not. You just do it. And you get it done. You, you pat yourself on the back, and you move on to the next thing you can do right now. If you can't do it, then can you learn how to do it? So if it's something you feel you can learn how to do, then right away, uh, if it means getting a mentor, reach out to the mentor. If it means taking a, a formal class, sign up for the class, or at least get the catalog from the institution and look through their listings. What can you do about learning that skill or learning a way to fulfill that need right now? And if whatever you can do to learn it, go ahead and do it. If you can't do it and you can't learn it, can you get somebody to do it for you? And most people think when I say that, I mean, you know, hiring somebody, going on Fiverr, uh, or asking a neighbor what they would charge to do it, or maybe you've got a relative. No, I mean asking for help. So in my lifetime, I've been very blessed. Many people have done things for me for free, for less than they would usually charge. They've given me installments when they don't usually give installments. They've done it in exchange for things I can do. So, uh, and, you know, then you also have to throw in prayer, meditation, and a lot of times, if you're just posting online, your, your needs will seep through into your words. And people who know you well, or people who have come to like you, will decide to reach out to you. So, if, and if you can find somebody to do it for you, you tell them what you need to do, you, you uh, make it understood how it needs to be done, and you get them started doing it right away. But here's the most important one. If you can't do it, and you can't learn how to do it, and you can't get somebody to do it for you, ignore it. Put it off to the side, don't think about it. Focus all your efforts on things you can actually have some little bit of control over because there's very little in life we control. We can influence, we can push our butts off, uh, we can work really hard, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that are just totally out of our control at this moment. And then the great thing is, as you focus on the things that you're good at, or that you can get people to help you with, that list of stuff that you can't do anything about is gonna get smaller and smaller the closer you get to your goal. So those, that is my four-step method. I, I find it works really hard, really well, especially if when you're making that list of all those things that you think you're gonna to need to do to get there, uh, don't worry about the number of things on the list. Only worry about the number of the things on the list you can do something about. I like and that. Trust me. That's good. Well, thank you. It reminds me of um, it reminds me of something uh, quote Henry Ford said, which was around you know when he finds something he doesn't know how to do, he focuses on the stuff he can do, and then the stuff he didn't know how to do seemed to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a similar yeah. similar approach, right? You're kind of yeah. you're focusing on what you can do, what you can control, rather than the big ugly mountain that you you can't do anything about. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's been my progression personally. I started with a domain name and didn't know how to have a website. I learned how to create my own website by uh, teaching myself to hand code HTML through the W3C.org schools online. Uh, once I had a website, people said I need to have a blog. Well, in order to do the blog, I ended up finding a third-party app called MarsEdit that lets me create the blog outside of the, Word, the Blogger or WordPress dashboards. You know, um, after I had a blog, uh, it was you know, social media started to come along and be a bigger thing than it was. Uh, I built an email list, not really knowing what an email list was. I just figured out that I needed to get these people to open my emails so that uh, I might sell them stuff or they might want to have stuff I can sell for them. And so I exchanged uh, free text links on the Midway Marketplace website for them agreeing to open my emails. And, you know, five years later, I had 4,000 names on my email list, not really knowing that I had been list building or been offering a lead magnet. Uh, you know, from, from there, I recorded video, but I didn't record video thinking I was doing a podcast. I was recording videos because I saw how the videos could help me sell rides. So a lot of things I did, one, not really thinking about or knowing what I was doing, and two, just doing the next Thing that happened to be in line and in fact the first book I wrote the leading you out of the darkness into the light I wrote that on a dare uh, a woman 
challenged me to write a book in 60 days to be part of an online summit. And I started writing the book. Eventually, they canceled the summit, or at least they canceled me out of it because they wanted to have all, all women on the event, which I was cool with because, you know, I'm a, I'm a son of a carnival owner. I'm a promoter at heart. So the idea of wanting to put more faces behind the screens was perfectly okay with me. But I finished writing the book. But still, the book started because somebody dared me to write a book. Uh, you know, I sing in public because when I started my podcast, finally started, you know, I didn't think of it as a podcast and I was just recording videos. I didn't have an intro or an outro. Uh, people had made fun of me when I, when I was in junior high school because my voice was changing and my vision was changing, which affected the way I sang as well. So for years I didn't sing at all, but I needed to do an intro so that I could start recording these videos. I decided to sing a little bit and people liked it. Uh, they kept asking me to do more of it and to the point where now if I, when I record my podcast, I sing, when I give public talks, I sing and uh, probably about, uh, probably about once a month or so a host will ask me to sing, nice. but that's not something I planned on doing. It's just the next thing in front of me, things that were difficult, but things I just really didn't think about until after I had done them. And I think that you, you understood that. When we were talking before the show, mm -hmm. and when you gave me up my introduction, you know, you talked about how uh, I don't seem to really understand or grasp the difficulty of what I've done or am doing, and maybe that is the problem. Maybe people are putting too much importance in what they're doing right this minute, or too much pressure on themselves to be really good at it. And for some reason, I've just had the freedom to fail. The freedom to uh to do it as good as i can do it and then go on to the next thing and i really wish i could distill that down into one phrase or a few mm -hmm. sentences but it's really just hard for me to comprehend because when i hear people introduce me when i hear people talk about how i'm a really good singer or how i'm a great storyteller i just don't see it but at the same time when people talk about Man, Max, you actually learned how to code HTML. That's, you know, you have a blog. You know, this, they talk about these things like they're incredible. But to me, it was just doing the thing that had to be done at the moment it had to be done and just figuring out a way. Or, you know, my, my dad used to say when, when we would get open, he would say, what, did we have a, did we have a, did we have a choice? And that's kind of turned into, you know, what, do I, what are, what are my excuses? What are other people's excuses? And, I do really wish it were easier. I wish I could put it into a few sentences. Uh, who knows? Maybe you have a few sentences or one that you can express it for me. Oh, I wish I did. Um, it's very hard, I think, to try and distill something like that down because it's a it's a feeling, isn't it? That's the that's the thing. It's how do you how do you turn a mindset or a thought or a feeling like that into a sentence? Yeah, and we talked about it beforehand. I'm known for saying that I'm not smart enough to be scared. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that is just not really realizing what I was doing at the time or what I have done. I mean, I have to have webmasters explain to me how big a deal it is that I learned how to code HTML. Or I have to have other bloggers tell me, Max, I can see in this stuff is hard. It, you know, it wears me out. You know, so... Um, I wish I, I, I hope people don't think it's easy. It's just that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how hard it is. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, well, man, that was really stupid. That, that didn't work at all. I just really am focused on doing what I can. And at the end of the day, I will say this much. At the end of every day, I'm like, Max, you didn't really accomplish a whole lot today. You need to do more tomorrow. And that's the way I always feel. I always feel like I'm not giving my clients enough and they will all tell me different. I always feel like I'm not showing up enough for myself and my fans and followers who, uh, who depend on me to show up and, and remind them of what's possible. I always feel like I should be doing more or be doing it better. But then I say, we did it as good we could do today, Max. Gonna go to bed and try it again tomorrow. It's good. That's a good motto. And yeah. I think... You know, you've got to have that. You've got to, as long as you, you're clearly balanced with that point of view. That you know, you've got that drive to 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 do more, to give more, but um, you're still you're able to then say, well, actually, 
done what we can do. The day's done. Tomorrow's the yeah. new one, right? Yeah. And I think that that's also plays into, you know, how, you know, how a lot of people have problems with perfectionism. They, mm-hmm. they won't launch their podcast or their website because they think it isn't good enough yet, or they won't, uh, they won't publish their book or their album. Same thing. Um, it really, it, it's a learning process to get to the point where you can say, yes, this could be better tomorrow, next week, or someday, but that doesn't get it out in the world where people can appreciate it or, be, or benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be the first to tell you, yeah, I, I built my own website by myself, but that first website had a yellow background, uh, blue text, red link text, fluorescent orange, previously linked text, and multiple size photos all on the screen together. And people used to say that Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could argue over the vivid <laughs> brightness of Max Ivy's Midway Marketplace website. So, uh, but people talking though, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, maybe, maybe, but you know, but I, but what I did was, and, and I, as one of the reasons why I continue to tell that story in different degrees of length is, uh, after I had the website functional, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about, man, this is hideous. This is not going to impress anybody. I spent my time thinking, okay, it's all about getting this, these rides and games and stuff where people can see them because if they can't see them, they won't want them. And, if they, and until they want them, they won't buy them. So my, I've said, okay, this is as good as we're going to do it without having money, mm-hmm. uh, some new help or some new skills or some new tech. So we're going to focus on recruiting clients on – promoting the equipment we currently have available on making connections, building social media, doing the things to promote what we had or, you know, bring in new clients with new stuff to sell. And instead of focusing on this website ain't ready yet, Max, this needs to have a lot of work before this will be ready for people to look at. And yeah, I got a little bit of a break because I'm visually impaired. A lot of people thought it was, you know, it's inspirational that a guy would do something like that who couldn't see it on his own. But you know what I've learned is that people are willing to give creative people the, the same break, even without the disability. Mm-hmm. The problem is you have to face, you have to find that courage to put your content out there. And what I think is really crazy is the research on podcasting because I've, I've seen this presentation twice at PodFest in the last two years. And the thing they say that's really crazy is that if you take a well-produced, slick podcast where somebody has recorded their first two or three months worth of episodes and launches it like it's a, you know, like it's a real big-time operation, those podcasts fail. If you take a podcast where somebody does it week-to-week, they start out doing it, you know, they're not great when they start, but they, uh, you know, maybe they stumble through their lines, maybe the guest doesn't show up. Whatever happens, their first week isn't great. They get a little better each week. By the time they've done those 12 weeks, they've started to build a loyal following because people that are sitting out on the other side of those screens or on the other side of those, those speakers, they've had similar dreams. They've thought about, well, maybe I could have a podcast or a blog or a book, and they don't do it. So they're attracted to somebody who is, you know, taking their fear in their hands and working through the process one day at a time, one week at a time. So, you know, if you are a writer and you have a book in you, the first book doesn't have to sell a million copies to be successful. You just have to publish it. The first album doesn't have to sell 100,000 copies or 100,000 downloads on iTunes, but you do have to publish it. And the first podcast episode, maybe nobody listens. Maybe the only person that listens is you. By doing the first episode, by doing the second episode, by doing, you know, a few weeks of it and getting better, people are going to see you as a real person, as a relatable person. They are going to want you to succeed because you're doing something challenging, something scary, something similar to what they would like to be doing but aren't. So no matter how bad you feel like your stuff is, start, publish, press send. Uh, ask me or David what we think. We'll probably tell you that you need to go ahead and do it anyway, yeah. because <laughs> that's how I do it. You, um, do. you, you just got to you just got to press go. That's all. You yeah, do. yeah. That's one of my favorite talk titles. Just press send. Don't let fear keep you from your dreams. So, uh, and and if you you know can't get past that, then find that one person who's supportive who will encourage you, and ask them what they think. 
and who knows, maybe you'll even do what I did. I did this accidentally. My first book, I had finished writing it, and it was two months after I finished writing it before it was published because I thought it wasn't big enough. It, it's uh, Leading Out of the Darkness into the Light is 82 pages, has 11 exercises. It's a very strong book. But I thought a book had to be 150 or 200 pages. I thought it had to have more stuff in it. And finally, one of my friends said, you know, Max, this book is great. Uh, and if you don't publish it, I'm going to get in touch with your editor and send it to her because, you know, I had written about my editor. Lorraine regularly at wordingwell.com has helped me with my books and some help with my blog and my website. And uh, this lady who's a friend of mine from California said, Max, I know who your editor is, so you can either send it to her or I'm going to send it to her because it's good enough. So uh, I did send it off and it did get published and it's, it's managed to help quite a few people who have uh, read the book or worked through the exercises. It's, it's, uh, it's been a great experience for me. But there was a few months, a few weeks there where I didn't think I was good enough or my book was good enough. And thankfully I had that one or two people who encouraged me and challenged me and even threatened me. You need to find those people in your lives. And if you don't have one or don't know where to find one, you can always start with people like me and David because the one thing I will tell you that I am absolutely 100% sure of, the blogging the, and podcasting world is the most supportive, supportive, encouraging, uplifting community that you could ever be a part of. If you come to one of us with a sincere desire to want to improve and uh, do something to accomplish, your goals and dreams and we have the ability to help you whether it's me or any person in the line space most every single one of the degree to what degree they will help you I can't say but I do know enough that if if people if people knew how supportive the online communities are everybody would have a blog or a podcast or both that's just the way I feel about it and it's been the truth in my in my journey so I hope y'all will start growing that community that will encourage you that will challenge you to just press send just publish your stuff already and get it out here in the world because if you wait until you think your story is good enough you will never share it and the world needs your stories we need your music your art your books we need you to help us and it's not just during this time of the pandemic but even beyond this if we ever get back to old normal or if we find a happy new normal, everybody is still going to need more stories. And so if you're not sharing yours already, please just press send. Just press publish. Definitely. I think uh, you're, there's no such thing as perfect. You can think it's perfect and there'll still be someone else who doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't wait for perfection. Perfection, perfection uh, is the yeah, enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfection is the enemy of good enough. It's also... Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, this is something that's happened to me with, with my blog and my podcast both, is that it seems like whenever I thought I did really great work, nobody <laughs> cared about it. It was like, it was like I was... It's like I sent it out to the crickets to start with. It was like, nobody, the stuff that I was like, oh, this is okay. I'm going to publish it. This ain't great. It was like, you know, what made, for, for example, when I, for, when I published my very first blog post as the blind blogger, because I had been blogging for a few years on the Midway Marketplace, the first post is titled, and it's still up there because it's a great lesson. The first post is titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration. Now, when I was working on that post, at the same time, I was working on a post about a new, well, a, a very beautiful park train from Prince Edward Island, Canada. And somehow, I got the photo of, the handsome photo of me mixed up with the photo of the engine of that train. <laughs> so, on a, on, a, on a blog titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration, is this big, huge, gorgeous engine from an amusement park train. Hmm. And... About a third of the people who saw that post said, Max, uh, you messed up. You've got the wrong photo on your blog. You need to fix that. The other two-thirds said, Max, what a great metaphor. You know, a lot of us remember the, little, the book, The Little Engine That Could. We've, we remember the whole I think I can. You know, what a great metaphor for a blog post just by using that photo and then sharing, you know, your, your acceptance of the fact that you're a role model and inspiration of like, that isn't what I was intended, but I'm glad that, it, you know, that you found a message in there. And it's, 
and I, I tell that story and other similar stories when I give talks and people just laugh and laugh and they're like, because people wanted to find something good in my work. And it's not just exclusive to me. Uh, I like to say that one thing that would help a lot of public speakers and a lot of people who perform at, at a microphone like uh, singers and comedians, well, maybe comedians is, is not quite part of this example, but <laughs> um, people don't come to us. People don't come to a conference to heckle the speakers. They come to a conference to be inspired, educated, entertained, and motivated. Mm -hmm. So if you're, worried about getting up in front of people and talking to them about a subject that you're familiar with or passionate about, then why are you, why are you nervous? They didn't come there to laugh. They came there to find something you were, they came there hoping you would say at least one thing during your time that would make them better. And so since people who read blog posts, most of them, they're looking for something to help them. They're hoping you're good. When they listen to your podcast, they're hoping you're good. When they download your album, they're hoping you're good. So try to remember that when you're afraid of taking that chance and starting whatever whatever creative venture it is or whatever business venture it is. People want you to succeed. I mean, I, I know there are lots of trolls online, but for the most part, people don't sit around hoping strangers fail. Mm -hmm. This is true. This is very, that's a very good message to remember. Very good message. So what's next for, uh, for you, Max? What's your next challenge? Uh, well... I generally don't uh, book problems in advance or exactly <laughs> know what my next challenge will be all the time. I do have a new book coming out. Um, it's going to be called The Blind Bloggers Continuing Adventures, my first uh, signing and speaking trip from uh, experiences I had in 2017, where I um, spent six weeks traveling around the country. I gave my first public talk at an event called DreamCon in Philadelphia. I did my first book signings. And uh, I got to spend some time with, 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 with some families, some of whom are no longer with us, and had some great experiences. And I teach lessons in there about facing fear and finding the money and having an abundance mindset. I also talk about my personal faith and how it impacted my, my journey. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I like to say that, you know, it shows how I deal with missing trains and uh, events falling through, but also mentions uh, wonderful experiences that I had and great people that I met. And some of the experiences that I talk about in that book, as well as the previous one, The Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures, are very small experiences. Um, you know, having somebody, uh, having somebody decide to buy my lunch, uh, singing in public, you know, really in public for the first time. Um, when I was in New York in 2016, uh, there's, there's half a paragraph on, on eating a dish called oxtail stew for the first time. I mean, I really do find things that are enjoyable experiences. So that's the thing. The, the new book will be out the end of July, 1st of August, and they can find it on the website at theblindblogger.net. Uh, the other thing I'm really passionate about is a lot of people are seeing all these new podcasts and they're thinking, you know, I should do like Max does. I should go on podcasts and share my story and promote my work. But maybe they're scared. They're not exactly sure what to do next. Or maybe they just don't have the confidence in themselves to reach out to other people and say, hey, I should be on your show. So I've decided to, 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 to create a training program. It lasts eight weeks. And we start by helping them understand the power of their story and tell it more effectively. Uh, then I put them through three question and answer sessions that are recorded so they can look back at them in the future. I, I draw my over seven years experience being a podcast guest and four years as a host to anticipate the questions they'll be asked based on their story. Uh, from there, I invite them on my podcast to What's Your Excuse show. And then I book them on four podcasts. I promote their interviews on face on social media and to my email list. And then I give them uh, mentoring before and after each interview. So by the time they're through with this program, they're going to be one of the next podcast guest rock stars. And I really love this thing because I've, I know people that charge crazy money to get people booked on podcasts. But what I really enjoy is people who have great stories 
they haven't gotten to the point where they understand just how amazing their story is yet. And they haven't really started to tell it because the, the thing about a great story is it will only get better with the telling. So the more I can help people to, to, to polish the way they share their experiences, uh, to learn the lessons that can come from those experiences and really share these things openly on, on podcasts to make them the kind of guests that people fall in love with over the internet and have to visit their website and read their posts or, or, or buy their book maybe. I just really love working with these people in the early days of their journey and paying back some of the people who helped me in the early days of my story, you know, because there were times if the right person hadn't come along at the right time to say, you know, Max, you should try this, or this is why that isn't working, or I know that you're having a problem with this, so I'm going to fix it for you. And so I, it, it allows me to, to pay back some of the people who helped me. And the one thing I know better than just about anything else is, uh, is, the, is the, how to best use podcast interviews to share your story and promote your passion. I like that. That's, that. That sounds like a really good program. Really, really good. And uh, like you say, I think a lot of people uh, don't realize they even have a story quite often. No, no. And, and I, I hope that if you're listening to this, don't think you have to hire me or buy the program. Um, I would love to spend 15 minutes with you just making sure you understand you have a story. Yeah. I mean, if you're not sure, because we need every single one of them. I mean, uh, I'm sure people are looking at the stories they're seeing on their nightly news now about all the people doing amazing things, and they're like, yeah, that's great, but their story is better than my story. Why should I tell mine? The truth is, your story isn't less than theirs. Theirs isn't more than yours. The difference is they've been telling theirs, and they've been telling theirs longer, or they have people in their lives who are telling the story for them and telling it to people who have large microphones and large, large networks to project it to. And, you know, I used to think the same thing. I've followed guys online like Eric Wehemir, the blind adventurer that's climbed Everest and the other se other seven summits, uh, other six, however you say that, you know, Rachel Skidoris, who, who didn't win the Iditarod but's finished it a few times, Tom Sullivan, who's a, who's a uh, uh, entertainer who happens to be blind, who's traveled the world multiple times and had his own segment on Good Morning America. You know, it's people like that. And, I, and that was part of my problem in the early days. I'm like, those people, they've got stories. I don't have a story. I'm just a blogger. I'm just a podcast. But, you know, um, as many people have said, you know, Max, there are a lot more people who aspire to have a book, a blog, or a podcast than aspire to uh, climb Everest or, or raft the Grand Canyon. This is true, yeah. I don't, it doesn't appeal to me, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, the, the Everest thing didn't appeal to me before they started dying going up and down that puppy. Yeah, exactly. So it's gotten even less on my radar since then. Right. Yeah. We have gone slightly over, and hopefully. I'm sorry about that. I do no, that no, all the time I, to host. To be honest, we could talk all evening, and my evening, your morning, of course. Um, I've got a few questions I want to run through with you. Um, All right, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do my best to play fair and give you short, pithy answers. Okay? Let's see. <laughs> the, the questions don't lend themselves to short, pithy answers. Oh, okay. All right. The first Great, one, may, the first one may do. The first one is: uh, Do you have any form of uh, morning routine? And if so, what does that look like? Uh, my most important morning routine is to spend fifteen or thirty minutes doing nothing before I start doing whatever it is I have to do that day. Mm -hmm. Settle yourself, clear your mind, and don't really think about anything that has to be done or that you, or that you want to do. Just try to find, just, just try to let yourself wake up. I like that. That's very good. Yeah. You're, don't go reaching for the devices. Exactly. Yes. I wish I'd have said that. <laughs> you can use that one next time. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Uh, three books that you'd recommend and why? Adversity Advantage uh, talks a lot about how we, how we can use adversity to, uh, to make us stronger and help us accomplish our goals. Um, here, uh, hearing Lessons, Things I Learned in the Dark by Tom Sullivan, which is a great book on interdependence, something I speak about a lot because people are afraid to ask for help, and, and one of the things I try to do is help them realize that 
uh, when we ask for help or allow people to help us, we can move much faster and get to our goals quicker. And the first person I heard ever really talk about that subject in detail was Tom Sullivan in that book. And then uh, a third book is uh, The, the uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who um, writes about the creative process and some of the things we, 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 we do that are wrong, that make things harder for ourselves. And the one thing in there she said that I said two things in there that I love. One is uh, you put too much pressure on yourself and your, and your creative projects when you tell yourself that your that your writing or your music has to pay all the bills, she's a she's a proponent of continuing to have a day job even when your side hustle takes off. The other thing is, she said, curiosity will carry you through when passion fails you. So there's a lot of really good stuff in in her book, Big Magic. I like the sound of that. That's going to go on my list. See, I ask these questions purely from a, from a selfish point of view because it gets. <laughs> I do the same. I do the same thing. I, I I wish I could even stop. I I, I wish I could stop. Ex, uh, um, it, not explaining. Uh, I wish I could stop explaining it to my get to my audience when I do it on my show. I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all know that I'm known for asking people questions just because I want to know the answer to that question and hoping you will too. You know, I do that quite often. So exactly. exactly. I, I think, uh, I'm always on the hunt for, for good books and, and also interesting people to follow. And so that leads into the next question. Yeah. Uh, three people that you would f either follow or listen to and you'd recommend, uh, I check out. Uh, let's see. Three people I follow or listen to, I recommend that you check out. Okay. Uh, Mara Sweeney, happiness ambassador, maraforyou.com, the number four. Um, let's see. Alex Sanfilippo, creatingabrand.com. And I would say check out his online community as well as his podcast because there's a lot of great people in there. Mm -hmm. And a third, I'm going to go four, but the, just because my third one doesn't have a way for you to follow her, but her previous content is still online. It's some great stuff. Her name is Adrian Smith, and I think you can still find her at adriansmith.com. And just a lot of what I've learned over the years from relation, about relationship marketing, I learned from her. I like to call her my blogging mama, and I feel bad if I don't mention her in podcast interviews when I get a chance. So, but, I, but she's not creating new content. Um, you can follow her online, and, but nowadays she talks more about law of attraction. But the fourth, the fourth person, or three, three B, let's call him uh, Ryan Badoff, the blogger from Paradise, uh, a personal hero of mine that I've met in person, and who's always got some great takes on blogging and why people don't succeed at it. That sounds interesting. I will check him out. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, three habits or disciplines that you've uh, employed in your life at some point or another that have, you feel have probably made the biggest difference to you? Well, the first one is, is to find some form of activity every day, whether you call it exercise or movement or whatever. Uh, my goal is to get at least 30 minutes a day of riding my bicycle that doesn't go anywhere. And uh, so that's, that's number one. Uh, number two is I take time out every day to read and more often than not, when I take that time, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a read for fun. It's, uh, it's fiction mm -hmm. because I believe that, um, you know, when you, when you read, it's, it's similar to when you sit down to a meal. While we know what's good for us, sometimes you just want a Snickers bar. <laughs> so, so, so reading, uh, exercising, and... Um, I like to call it mindful, or excuse me, I like to call it modern meditation, mm -hmm. and that's where I use everyday repetitive tasks to clear my mind and focus my thinking, um, such as grooming a pet, uh, singing music, ironing clothes, sweeping floors, preparing meals. There are things we do every day that are repetitive that don't require a lot of thought, and th I, ca I call it modern meditation because if you use it right, it can be time to really, really clear your mind and come up with ideas or give ideas space to come out on their own. I like that. That's a, that's a good way of thinking about stuff. It gets rid of the monotony for sure and uh, turn, a, turn a dull task into, into something more productive. Yep. Or as Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. <laughs> yeah, true that. 
Uh, penultimate question is uh, three tools, systems, services, apps, whatever you, whatever, anything that you currently that you've employed in your life that have made the biggest difference. Okay. Um, all right. One, I one I I stopped using, but now I'm using again. Uh, that's been a big influence in my life is uh, is Braille. There was a time when I dra I dragged a Perkins Braille writer around the country with the carnival and used it to keep track of the bookings, and used it to keep track of the income and expenses, and had basically reams of Braille paper with stu stuff. I'd have to figure out what it was and. Why did I write this down again now? Um, so, and recently I've rediscovered Braille and I'm eventually going to get a digital Braille display that will allow me to carry the Braille around with me because there are some things, especially websites, that are just easier if you can access them tactically as opposed to using a screen reader. Then mm -hmm. the second one would be screen readers, whether that be JAWS for Windows or VoiceOver for Apple. These are uh, software that most people are familiar with by now that, uh, that make the computers, the phones, and the tablets talk to you so you can kind of figure out what's going on on those screens. Uh, the third thing is is off of that, I, I mentioned Mars Edit earlier in the show. It, it doesn't have a Windows complement, but one of the things I really love about it is it allows you to create your blog posts completely including embedding links and photos and bullet lists and all the stuff you would normally put in a post. You can do that on your computer through this editor that's very accessible, very easy to use with speech. And even if you don't have internet access at the time, you can complete that post fully. And then when you do get internet access or get better internet access, it will go ahead and post those uh, articles that you've written to your website and get them out on the internet whether that be immediately or on delay. So Mars Edit's been a, been a big one. I've recently come around to the iPhone and the iPad, which are, which are voiceover products. Uh, and then I mentioned several websites earlier in, in lists that I use when it comes to uh, finding podcasts to reach out to so I can share my story or connect them with friends of mine. Um, trying to think. Uh, and while it's not high tech, uh, there's still the old white cane. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's getting much use right now, but I mean, if anybody, if anybody has any pull with, with the guy who just invented the digital cane or the sonic cane and wants to make an introduction so that I can maybe get one of them for when this is over. Y'all, you know, I'd be more willing to have somebody make me an introduction, you know, but. <laughs> that, might, this might, that might answer the last question. Then. The, the final question is, if you could spend one hour with one person, uh, dead or alive, who would that one person be? Well, I really think you should give people the option of choosing two, one dead and one alive, but... <laughs> um, Here's something I've been trying to do for a while now. It started off as a joke, and now it's become serious. When I do my podcast, I record myself singing The River by Garth Brooks. I sing the first verse at the beginning of the show and the second verse at the end of the show. And people joked, you know, Max, you can get in a lot of trouble legally by using people's music without their permission on your podcast. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, if Garth ever finds out and he sends me a cease and desist letter, y'all can just all be part of my legal defense fund. So, uh, and, and then like, well, Mike's, how do you know he won't like it? Well, I don't know. Maybe he'll like it. I've tried to get him on my podcast. So yeah, I'd like to spend an hour, not that that would be enough with somebody like Garth, but I'd like to spend a, an hour with Garth and Tricia. Nice. I like that. Very good. Good way to end. Um, so before we say goodbye, uh, remind everybody where they can uh, track you down and uh, hear more from you. Right. They can go to theblindblogger.net. That's theblindblogger.net. They can also send me an email to just ask at theblindblogger.net. Uh, my social media links, there's a store page on there for my books, my merchandise, and including the shirts and, the, and, and mugs and stuff. It's also where you'll find my next book, The Blind Blogger's Adventures, First Speaking and Signing Trip. Uh, and it's also where they can hire me. They can book me to, to, to uh, share my inspiring stories with their organization, 
workplace group. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing virtual just like everybody else. So I would love the opportunity to share my stories and inspire a, an audience over Zoom or Skype for, uh, you know, for employees, for community groups. Uh, I've done a couple for local chapters of National Federation of the Blind. I really enjoy encouraging others. I also enjoy making people laugh. And as you've learned from the hours that we spent together, most of my stories do come with a smile or a chuckle or an outright laugh. Uh, I've been told I make people laugh while I make them learn, and that's what I really enjoy doing. So if you want to book me to speak, hire me to get you exposure, buy anything, or just say, hey, Max, I enjoyed seeing you uh, on David's podcast. Go to theblindblogger.net. Lovely. Max, I've absolutely loved it. It's been uh, great fun. You're absolutely right. You do uh, you do make people smile and laugh while, uh, while learning. Uh, and, I appreciate it. Uh, you you may not uh, see it quite as inspirational as maybe the rest of us, but it, it's a it's a great story, and uh, there's some there's some great messages uh, within that story. So I hope everybody got as much out of that as I did. Thanks. And uh, All right. thanks, David. I appreciate it. And we will uh, speak again very very soon. Yes. I look forward to it. <laughs> Lovely. Cheers, Max. Cheers.